Hello, welcome to another edition of the Hoop Scoop Podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal, Phil. Hello and welcome. And we've got a lot to cover. we got some recently eliminated teams that we got to catch up on. And then, of course, we're going to cover the conference finals. One game down in the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals tipping off tomorrow. We're going to make sure you guys are all prepped for that. And should be good. Ready to go, Phil? Oh, we're ready to go. I mean... Let's let's start it off with a little sad, somber note, you know, pick up from there. Yeah, so obviously with the four remaining teams, each of them had to beat somebody to get where they are. I'm going to forget the Denver Nuggets, Phil, just because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm a Nuggets fan, if I'm involved with Denver, I'm pretty happy that I got a first-round series win out of it. Jokic had a great season. When the Murray injury happened, I think we all knew that it was unsustainable, the the success that they were going to have in the playoffs. And I think now this, we just kind of look back at that Portland situation even worse based on the beating that Denver took uh, from Phoenix. But we're not going to get too into that. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to forget the Nuggets for now. Good team. Murray injury is devastating. Can I ask you one thing before we – Yeah. yeah Can I ask yeah, you one yeah, thing yeah. before we start? With the four teams that are – what was it? Jazz, Sixers, Nets, and Nuggets. From top to bottom, most likely to run it back – pretty much as is or as much as possible who is your what's your order well i think the reason why we're leaving the nuggets out i think the reason why nuggets out is because like obviously they're pretty much set in stone with what they're going to do and we know they're going to come back and be significantly after coming off injury and then when the list starts next yeah that was kind of my thought that's like yeah there's no need to kind of expect them to you know that's part of the reason. I think another part of the reason is they they didn't they they, they went out in a fashion where you, you kind of just got to shrug and move on. I mean, right with the with the Sixers and Jazz, which will be the last two teams we discuss. It's will they catas- be, it's catas- it's catastrophic. Um, Brooklyn, which I guess let's just get into now. So Brooklyn is another team that I think is going to run it back. And to answer your question, I would probably put Brooklyn first. Denver, I'd probably put second just because I do think there's some role players that you're kind of questioning. Um, guys like Aaron Gordon, you know, wait, what's, what's the future of Paul Millsap, like stuff like that. Brooklyn, I'd probably put as most likely than Denver second, then probably Philly, Utah. I mean, not Utah, Philly in that order. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about Brooklyn right now because we all watched game seven, another heroic effort from Kevin Durant, but they do fall up fall a little short, losing by two points in overtime. Well, they, they fell centimeters short of a win. They did. Right they did. And that's, yeah. and that's the kind of – that's the crazy thing about this. And I know it's been harped on, but, you know, you're we're, we're, we're a size 17 shoe away from, <laughs> you know, this whole entire conversation being shifted and Milwaukee being another team where it's a catastrophe and how can you not beat the Brooklyn Nets when they – have one half of their superstars. If you can't win this year, then which year you're going to win. But that's the name of the game. And Milwaukee's moving on. Brooklyn is out. I don't think there's any reason to be alarmed if you're a Nets fan. I just look at it from the standpoint of this is a team that was built for short-term success. I mean, that was clear when they made the Harden trade. It is all in on this three- to five-year window, whatever you want to call it. I mean, the contracts are only going – I mean, technically next year could be Durant and Irving's last year. I mean, they have player options after next season. But 
you know, every year that passes is just an opportunity missed. So I'm not, you can't be mad for losing the series. The Nets were undermanned. Durant was great. But outside of that, it was a whole bunch of question marks. It's just, if you're a Nets fan, every year where you don't get the job done. And even though this year they were hobbled and they were one of those teams that was decimated, the rest of the league, you know, I mean, this is as wide wide open as it's going to get. And they're going to go into next year probably with the most talented team in the East unless something major happens. But you never know what happens. And every year that you fall fall short, I mean, last year was obviously wasted, the first year of the Irving Durant year because – Durant doesn't even play, or he doesn't even play in the playoffs. That might as well have been a throwaway year. And this year, this happens. So it's not the Nets' fault, but at the same time, the clock is still ticking on this organization, and it's championship bust every single season. That's just the way it is. That's how I look at it, at least. I don't know if you have anything to build off of that, different thoughts, yeah, no, agree, I, but that's how I look at it. No, I fully agree. I mean, I'm sure everybody that <clears throat> watches it or talks about the Nets know that this is kind of like, it was just kind of a year. Like last year, like, Kyrie taking them to the playoffs. What were they, the sixth seed? Seven. It was just kind of, yeah, it was just like a fun, like, we did this. Look at what will be next year. It's a little disappointing that the thing that happened, you know, like, last year where it was like, look at what will happen next year, turns again into look at what will happen next year. Yeah, but, yep. but, I mean, that's kind of how it's going to play. And realistically, if you get lucky enough that everything breaks even and your guys are healthy, you're pretty much guaranteed to finals run. But for what we were talking about with the rankings, I still have the Jazz and the Nets like maybe shifting between two and three because I really feel like they're in a similar situation, maybe a little bit less. Nets are obviously more defined, but they're losing Dinwiddie. And it's not like he was playing the whole season, but his $12 million cap hit comes off. And so now they have to figure out what do we do with that? Do we use that to sign Blake Griffin? Obviously, he's not going to come back on a vet minimum again. He's going to actually cost you some coin. And then the Jazz have to figure out what they're going to do with Mike Conley. He's got, I think it's, what, 30, 35 mil off the boards. So they got to figure out what they want to do with that extra cap. Obviously, it's not all going to be used because they don't want to go over the cap for just a bunch of random guys. But it's just an interesting proposition for are they going to just try to sign Conley back or are the Nets going to use all their $12 million on Dinwiddie for Griffin? It's, it's a really interesting paradigm. I, I think the Nets will probably try to diversify their assets in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I get it. I, I just looked at it from the standpoint of the Nets are this is their this is their three, and although the Jazz are most likely going to run their uh, their core of Mitchell Gobert back, I mean there is question marks about that core, and we'll get into the Jazz yeah. in a little bit. I don't want to get too heavy on it. No, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to hop uh, over, but the Nets no, were good. I mean, <clears throat> they were pretty much what you expected for hobbled Harden and just. Baseball. I do want to ask you about this A team. Because Kevin Durant committed, what, two days after? Yeah, it was Durant and Harden after. both committed. Mm-hmm. How how much do you think Harden's going to have? Involvement in the in the USA team? In the USA team. It starts in July. Yeah, I'm, well, this year's a little different because in a normal Olympic season, the NBA Finals would have ended, you know, two weeks ago. And this would be like training camp time. But I don't even think they're like doing a tryout or usually they, they they list their initial names and then they kind of dwindle right. it down and eventually they come to 15-man roster, whatever it is. This year just seems like people are just putting their names in and they're just taking them. That's the team. Today, Kevin Love announced he was playing and I was like, Did, why, why, why is he even... <laughs> Anybody? 
that was that was weird to me. I was like, he's a guy that has the right to just say he wants to play. Okay, sure, whatever. But uh, not to make it too much Olympic tangent, but hey, I mean, I'm not, I have no problem with them wanting to play. That's that's fine. I mean, obviously, God forbid something horrible happens and they they get badly hurt, we're all gonna look at it as, you know. But hey, that's I mean that, that that's that's just life. Honestly, you can't you, you know you you can't you can't play your career out being afraid of one thing to happen. Um, Durant looked great. Durant looked healthy. Durant is in the prime. I mean, the crazy thing is in a loss, like Durant sold to me that he's the best player in basketball. So I really have no questions about him. Obviously with the Harden thing, you think it's a little, uh, I guess a little stranger because he didn't end the series playing well and he didn't look particularly healthy and it is a hamstring injury, which is something that does tend to linger. But, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He knows his body better than anybody else, I would suppose. Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely surprising. Definitely surprising. But I do want to talk Harden for one second, though, because I told you when we were, we were talking a day or two ago where Harden, listen, the, the injuries happened, and you got to take it in, into account because it was real. He's clearly dealing with it. I don't think he was the same player that he was in the Boston series. At the same time, James Harden, you were still on the court. And when you, as long as you were on the basketball court, I still have to judge what you're doing. And in that game seven, he didn't help him. He didn't help him too much. And he, he played every single minute of the game. So Steve Nash clearly needed him out there. And he, he, he I, I shouldn't say he didn't help him at all because clearly he does help in some regard, facilitating the offense, putting pressure. You still have to take account for him. But two or 12 from three. I mean, one of them was a bank shot, which I'm not – I mean, it goes in, so it still counts the same. But it, it, he seemed very off. He seemed very off. And, you know, you get a couple of those shots to fall, and it's a whole entire different game. So you got to look back and say, it's just – I am i don't have, like, a hot take for it. But James Harden didn't deliver in game seven. I know the injuries happened, but he didn't deliver. Joe Harris didn't deliver. Blake Griffin, I give a huge tip of the hat to because he was – so much better than I thought he would be. But at the end of the day, the Nets just didn't have enough in the tank to beat Milwaukee because Durant was gassed by the end. And you could see, I don't think he scored in overtime. I think the Nets maybe had two points in overtime. And it was just a grind. It was it was a grind for them on offense. Durant taking 36 shots it really isn't his game. I mean, we, when he was so effective with Golden State, obviously it's a completely different situation, but he's not a guy that likes to be like a volume shooter. He likes to play in the rhythm. He likes to get to his spots. He doesn't want the ball every single play and just jabs to five times and, and just huck up mid-ranges, but that was their offense. That was kind of all they had, and it just ran a little dry by the end, even though he did as much as he possibly could. So, Yeah, well, do you have any more Nets, Nets contributions? you want to hop over to Jazz? That's all I got for the Nets. Bottom line, you're going to run it back, but at the same time, it's got to feel crappy that another another year in this experiment and not a whole lot to show for it uh, in terms of yeah. postseason, postseason production. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's hop over to Jazz. <clears throat> I have them as someone I expect to be running back. I feel like, especially with the – it's split out because they have so much money in Gobert and Mitchell – they kind of have to use they, – they're able to go over the, the cap to re-sign Mike Conley. And so if they did do that, they basically – I think they get half of the, the half of the actual money, so it would probably be like 
15, maybe around the type of money the Nets would have with Dinwiddie. And they just have that to play with for the offseason. So do they just risk the run of taking Conley back for, I don't know what the contract would even look like, maybe three years, 20-something, 18, 20 mil? Or do they try to go on the open market and see what kind of role players or pieces that, that will actually be attracted to coming to Utah? I don't feel like it's that attractive of a destination. It seems kind of constricted in where their ceiling is. Like they've maxed out their ceiling. And this is yeah. kind of what we came to. Yeah, there's I, – I understand what you're saying. And with Conley, there's two ways to look at it because bottom line is if, if the Jazz can't get it done this year where they play a Clippers team that is missing Kawhi Leonard for the last two games, they lose both of those games. This is a season where they had the one seed. This is a season where the Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they're not in the picture. Even if you're getting to the finals, Kevin Durant, Brooklyn Nets, they're not in the picture. Denver Nuggets now in the picture. Jamal Murray hurt. I don't know how you can really just sell to your to your franchise, sell to your star player Donovan Mitchell, sell to your fans that hey, it's all right. We're gonna do it. We're we'll gonna try back. again. Don't you worry. Yeah, I mean, listen. I always say like some teams, especially small market teams, they're built to kind of capitalize on breaks, and it makes sense. I mean, listen, that's pretty much what happened with the, the Toronto Raptors although the Kawhi Leonard situation was kind of a one-off, we all knew that they weren't as good as the Golden State Warriors when they were fully healthy with Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson. Like, everybody knew that. Messiah Ujiri knew that. But in the event that something happened and Golden State was not there, and whether it be injury, whether it be some flu, whatever, they were in, a pos- they were in the position to take advantage of it and win the title. And that's kind of how I feel like Utah has been built all these years. They knew they weren't as good as the Lakers with LeBron and AD. They knew they're not as good as the Nets with Durant and Harden and Kyrie all healthy. But in a year where those teams fell out of the picture, which happened this year, they capitalize. And then what happens, they lose to the Clippers without their star player. So I just don't know how you can – well, one of, their, one of their two star players. I don't know how you can come back and just do the same exact thing. I think you got to make some changes. The Conley situation, he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, you're a little better over this than me. Like, would a sign and trade be in the picture? Where I think I think there's two. I think there's two options here, Phil. Either you do something maybe similar to last year, where I don't know, maybe you try to upgrade with some wings, maybe because we'll we'll talk to, into maybe a little bit about what actually happened on the court. But Utah's defense was horrific, and I think part of that was maybe Gobert. Uh, struggling with the matchups, but I think part of it is also like defensively, they don't have a lot of talent around Gobert. The wings aren't good defensively. The guards yeah. are mediocre defensively. So uh, listen, defense, it's a, it, even more so than offense, I think is dictated by your team and being on a string and having five solid guys. They just have too many weak points. So maybe they try to improve that in free agency one way or the other. I'm not sure. Or Phil, another, another angle, angle here. Do you, Dwayne Wade, as part owner, go into hop into the cube and cube host. Yes, bring bring Donovan Mitchell into the cube and sit him down, and say Donovan. All right, you're the franchise player. We see what's going on. You see what's going on. This team, as constructed right now, it's not winning a title in the next year or two. You got, I mean, just being blunt. So, and you got to be straight with your franchise player. You got to make sure they're on board, and you map out a plan where. You try to sell off maybe Conley in a sign and trade. 
I don't know about Gobert's Gobert, that might be that might be tough with that contract. That's but you try to sell off maybe Boyan Bogdanovich. You maybe try to sell off Jordan Clarkson and do a mini rebuild, a mini rebuild around Donovan Mitchell. Try to get some young talent. Try to recoup your draft picks. Something like that is that on the table? Because I feel like it would be the logical step based on what just happened. You're right. It's a logical step, but another maybe a little more misconstrued logical step in the Jazz front office's mind is wasn't full strength. If he was, would have won. Like they might have been able to jump to that conclusion. I don't know if it's right. I don't agree with it. But yeah, I don't think people is. think that Mitchell was a little more hurt than he would let on to believe. And obviously, it was kind of weird. Him playing right away and just want to play anyway. But I don't know. I mean, the ankle injury stuff is kind of hard to, to come back very quickly and be as effective. The same thing with like re injury, where it just can happen like that. And you're just, you're, you go from 70% to see your one play. So off of that, they back and with a healthy Mitchell, it could be a completely different ballgame. I don't think that's the case, but that's where they're kind of leaning. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they weren't they weren't saying that the that the ankle injury was a problem when he scored forty five in game one and thirty seven in game two, like. And I, I'm, I'm still I'm stealing these numbers from the low pod, but I actually heard him talk about this the Jazz recently. Donovan's shot diagram is was pretty much identical to what it was in the regular season. He shot twenty three percent at the rim. All of those mid-ranges kind of turned into more threes because he took a lot of threes. He actually set the record. I don't know if you know this, Phil. He, took, he, he set the record for most threes taken in a playoff series, which is pretty crazy. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, defensively, I guess he was pretty poor. He's never really an elite defensive player. That's that's not really where he tips his cap. This was not a – sure, like, yeah, maybe he probably wasn't 100%. But however percent he was, it should have been good enough to beat the Clippers – at least once, at least force a game seven with no Kawhi Leonard. So I just don't see how you sell to your star play, you sell to your fans, you're going to run it back. I'd have to look at the numbers, but it's bad over there, and they got to figure it out because if, if, if this isn't the – and we'd be saying the same thing about the Bucks if they lost to the Nets, by the way. We'd be saying the same exact thing. But this is the year where all those teams that are built and maybe know they have a little less talent than some of the juggernauts – this is the year where all the juggernauts are out. Yeah, this team, I think, needs to make changes just because this was their best-case scenario. And to not capitalize here, I don't know how you can look yourselves in the mirror and try to do it again. That's just how I view it, though. Yeah, I think what you were saying before, when you when you step into the cube, talk about rebuilding, it's kind of even tougher for a fan or audience or even Donovan Mitchell to stomach. Obviously, they want to be as competitive as possible for as long as possible especially in the player empowerment, like you can't, you don't have that opportunity to sit Zion Williamson down or LaMelo Ball down and be like, all right, we want to rebuild for one to two more years. We want to tank and get a good pick alongside you. Typically they're just pissed. They don't, they don't want to be part of that. They yeah. want to win ASAP. And Donovan Mitchell is pretty much in that category or 100% in that category. So it's, you, you don't really have that option. You had to extend Gobert a summer or two ago. You had to go all in on Conley. You had to pick up Clarkson and figure out a strategy in the second unit to find a way that works. And I think they just kind of stuck running with it now until the wheels fall off or Donovan wants to get out of there. Sad. Yeah. I mean, things could break even things could break even weirder next year, but it's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on to the last the last sad and down team. Probably the, I mean, they're just as sad as the Jazz are. So the Jazz are probably no, no, they're that. Sixers are in a in a tougher spot, I would say, emotionally. Yeah, you can make a case, but argue for another day. But I mean, yeah, let's uh, okay, so Sixers, yeah, so Sixers losing seven games. You had the Sixers win the title, and do you have the Sixers hey, in the finals, or do you have the? I I have the Nets in the finals. Oh, well, I mean, I thought you had an evolving finals. I you had, stuck with the Nets the whole time. Um, no. Well, I I picked. The, I had I had the Bucks once the injuries happened to the Nets. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Cause I didn't have the Sixers the whole time. I had the Nets, and then I flopped to the Sixers. I thought you. I'm pretty sure you did pick Sixers from the get go. No, because I you were anti- because you were anticipating right. Nets injuries. Okay, I'm trying to remember now. I think that happened when the Harden, or regardless, this isn't important, but I think that happened when the Harden hamstring thing kind of came apart. Look at the archives. Look at the archives later. Yeah, but we'll find out. Yeah. Now they, regardless, six. I didn't expect them to lose to the Hawks, so I'll say that. Not yeah. Act, you know, not acting like I was, you know, onto this. I did think it would be. <laughs> you were a Sixers denier. <laughs> I did think Atlanta had a good shot in the series, but I definitely did not expect the Hawks to win. But here they are, Sixers out in seven. And listen, the process is where it is at this point, and have That's not what reached you're the, con- about the process. Have not reached the conference finals in this era. This was undoubtedly not to just harp, not to rehash everything I just said, but this was the golden ticket year. This was a year that it seemed like they were in the position to make a run and get to the finals and see what happens. But yeah, Ben Simmons and the Jazz were in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Ben Simmons implodes. Joel Embiid tried his best, and overall, the Sixers just didn't play good basketball offensively. It was a struggle all season, but we thought the defense would take care of business, and it wasn't enough. Phil, what's your big take on this team right now? Because I think this is for sure, most certainly a team that has to make changes going to next season, but it's a little murky. Yeah, changes definitely need to happen. What those turn out to be, we can kind of assume, but on the fringes, we really don't know. <clears throat> what are they going to do with Dwight Howard? What are they going to do with Seth Curry? I mean, Seth Curry is going to stay, obviously, but I mean, just all the fringe pieces, George Hill, maybe Matisse Thybul gets some kind of I don't know, trade value, but it, we really can't tell or know what it'll look like until something or nothing happens with Ben Simmons. If I had to guess, I would assume something happens with Ben Simmons. And then once that roster is kind of what it is, we're going to see what other pieces do they get along the fringes or do they sell Ben Simmons off for a bunch of fringe pieces, you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot yeah. of different ways Ben Simmons could go. I think he has a lot, a decent amount more value than people are just absolutely underselling him for right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. The Ben Simmons thing, when he first came to the league as the first overall pick, we thought he would be a franchise player and that value is gone. He's not a franchise player right. as of now, but he still is only 24 years old. He still has a lot of talent. He's still a former all-star. Still does good things on the court. The, the Sixers, the, the the narrative around Ben Simmons, the Sixers are still obviously playing it off as if they, they want to help Ben Simmons. They want to help him get through it. Doc Rivers recently reported that they have a plan to help him get, get him right, get the shooting right, make progress. But... The cat's out of the bag. We all know that Ben Simmons was a, a major liability offensively, especially. 
And while the defense is good, it wasn't nearly enough to make up for, I mean, the useless player he was in offense. To That's the only way I know how to put it. He was not doing anything. And at, at a point, you kind of wondered what this series would look like if they played Ben Simmons less because the crunch time offense was so bad with him on the floor, you couldn't imagine it getting worse. So it's just hard to imagine him coming back with his exact core because we know Embiid is their guy and they're going to ride with him and he's untouchable. Harris, another pretty underwhelming playoff series, but his value is not good. He's, he's viewed as honestly close to a negative asset at this point with that contract. And outside of that, they don't have a ton of assets. They have Tyrese Maxey, who people probably like, but what are you really getting at Tyrese Maxey? I'm not so sure. So Ben Simmons is the elephant in the room. I would imagine he gets traded, but finding that trade partner is not going to be entirely easy. Yeah, you have your yeah. you have mm-hmm. your specific ideas of where he should go. I have mine. Do you want to go? Do you want to share yours? Just as as fun extrapolation. Yeah, well, the team that has been in my head for players like I actually find I think Ben Simmons and Chris Osborne have similar trade value. Uh, Simmons might be a little higher just because mm. he's probably a better player. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure you could honestly find teams around the league that value Porzingis more. I think, but I think they're similar yeah. in the, in the sense that, yeah. yeah. So I think both of those guys can go to, honestly, the teams that, uh, like the same teams, like the same kind of team would look at both these guys. Uh, Charlotte Hornets was a name that initially I brought up. A team that's rebuilding, but also doesn't want to tank. So they have kind of some of their young core and they have some winning pieces that they could pawn off in a deal. But I think that would be a good place for him to start up again. Sacramento's a, a team that I've heard being thrown around, which I think makes a little bit of sense. Um, I, like, I think he'd belong, maybe San Antonio, which is another team that has been flying around recently, which I think makes a little bit of sense. I think going to a team like those where they're not – planning on contending in the near future, uh, you know, not in the next three or four years. So they kind of want to just build a foundation, see what they have while being as competitive as they can. So not like the bottom feeders, of the league. I mean, I don't see Orlando. I don't see Detroit. I don't see Houston making a run partially because I don't think he's a fit timeline wise. And then secondly, I don't think those teams would have anything to give that would make Philadelphia even budge unless it was a three team trade, which is, would be kind of hard to navigate. So I think those teams on the fringes, on the fringe of the playoff picture would make sense for Simmons. That's my take. All right. Well, you were kind of lining me right up for mine because I I think those bottom feeders, those bottom dwellers might be foolish enough to trick themselves into thinking we get Ben Simmons at the beginning of our rebuild. We could legitimately start building around him from day one. If we just get four shooters around him, maybe LeBron styled, we're obviously not the same player, but they play the same style. You could you could feasibly have a decent team, and I was I was envisioning was um sending Ben Simmons to the Magic for Jerry and Grant going to Sixersville, and Jeremy. then Jeremy. Sorry, I always do that. Jeremy goes, Sadiq Bay goes. The Sixers send a few picks to Piston to the uh, to the Magic, and then the Magic send. Run through it all now. I had to find it in the notes. Pistons get Bamba, Michael Carter-Williams, and uh, Cole Anthony are in order to switch it out. 
and then the Orlando's own of Chicago's and Orlando gets Ben Simmons and a pick for or two from the Sixers. And then the Sixers get Sadiq Bay, Terrence Ross and uh, Jeremy Grant. Is that really such a bad, bad way for each of them? No, it's not bad. And I think that you're on the right track because if you're going to deal with those teams, it has to be a three team because there has to be yeah. logical things going to the Sixers because the Sixers aren't going to just want to get a bunch of youngsters right. and have MB just looking around like what the hell just happened. I think in that specific trade, Detroit kind of gets the raw end of the deal, but because yeah, but their rebuild just grows because realistically, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just don't think you. I don't see why you'd want to give up Sadiq Bay in that trade. Like, if you're going to rebuild, I mean, he was he's he's a first team all rookie guy. So yeah, no, I I fully agree. I think that was just. I thought that enough picks were able to suffice that, but it can it could be argued either way, really. Like but, yeah, idea. that's just kind of my idea of the bottom. It can really just. Build, they can get a full, complete base just building around Ben Simmons as opposed to getting plugged into San Antonio where you have DeJounte Murray taking the ball up. And, you know, obviously what's oh, – I can't even – Keldon Johnson, my boy, he needs his touches, as well as Devin Vassell. Yeah. No, yeah, I get that. I mean, I'd like to see a trade with that where Charlotte's involved and maybe Charlotte, instead of sending Jeremy Grant, gets Gordon Hayward over to Philadelphia. And I would like that. I th- I think a lot of also what's gonna what the Sixers are gonna want is gonna depend on what they do in free agency. They still need a point guard. Still need a point guard real bad. And there's yeah. some veteran there's some veteran point guards on the market. Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, definitely two names that I expect them to monitor. And if they get that if they get that position solved, then I think it takes a lot of the pressure off. But if they don't and those guys decide to go other places, then you got it. You got to get a point guard in the Ben Simmons deal. And that's where I think a, a player like Terry Rozier might come into the fold just somebody because they do not have any arms of initiator and running the, running the ball through Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris constantly. It's not a winning formula. You need a perimeter playmaker. You need somebody to initiate the offense. They, they don't have it. And it's, it's gotta be party number one for them this off season. Yeah. And those, those guys you just listed, it kind of gets into a chicken or the egg thing where do they wait for Simmons to get, basically traded or they know something's coming and then they sign with them or do they sign before anything happens and then they're kind of stuck, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, yeah, yeah. it's a tough little, tough little dance to walk for uh, Lowry or even Conley or whoever decides to be interested in the Sixers. Yeah. But I want to yeah. talk, I want to talk actually about the game, like game seven specifically. What did you uh-huh. see in it that kind of gave you a little notion of this might not be their day. This might not be it. Yeah, it's just it's just Sixers deja vu. Honestly, it seems like when this team, this this team, they kind of they they play a style where every deficit seems so much larger because their offense is so slow and just it it lacks so much explosion. There's and there's not a whole lot of shooting. Embiid's obviously a dynamic player, but we're learning more and more each year that it's it's very difficult to run your offense through a big man at least more difficult than it is to run it through a perimeter player it's just it's just harder in this day and age especially when you're not surrounded by elite shooting you kind of got to be by, you got to be surrounded by elite shooting if you're going to run something like that because throwing the ball to Embiid it just shrinks the court and unless you have guys who can counteract that court shrinkage by making guys pay 
it's not going to work. And clearly the Sixers don't have guys who are going to make you pay. Simmons is shrinking the court. He's in the dunker spot constantly. Uh, there's, there's, Tobias Harris was Tobias Harris, extremely unreliable, and he doesn't even like being a catch-and-shoot guy anyway. So in the game specifically, I mean, Philadelphia didn't play like horrible for a lot of the game. They were hanging on, but they were never able to capitalize on the Hawks' poor shooting. They did a pretty solid job containing Trey Young. He missed a lot of make makeable shots, but at the end of the day, they made stuff tough enough. You got to give Simmons some credit for that. But offensively, it, they're just limited. There's there's no other way to say it. The bench unit they lack playmakers, and those units where it's just Tobias Harris plus bench players, it's it's extremely predictable, and nothing really happens. They don't run a ton of offense, and you, you I mean, you could talk your doc stuff where, I, I you, you gotta, I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta blame Doc a little bit. They, they don't have the best personnel, but like this team just, they don't get easy looks at all. They get tough. Everything just seems like a grind. It seems like a slog. And when Trey hit that long three to make it, I think it was six points. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think it was six yeah, yeah, points. Yeah. I think it was a six-point deficit with, like, two or so minutes left. It's like, oh, this is over. And I feel like that feeling is crazy for an NBA team where that shouldn't be the case. But it's just very, very, very difficult for this team to consistently manufacture offense in the half court. Simmons played well on defense, as I alluded to, but the fact that you have a guy playing 36 minutes and he takes four shots and he's not a threat to do pretty much anything in the half-court set – it's a huge, it's a huge problem. It was a hole in the offense and it's tough to win games like that, especially when you think Simmons is your second best player, but you can't throw them together with bench units because you don't trust them to run the offense and carry that load. At the end of the day, Phil, it was not a great roster. It was not a great roster. The coaching I don't think was great either. They didn't do anything that like really impressed me offensively. They don't get a, a ton of good looks, but bottom line, limited, limited, limited roster talent wise, put their money in guys who didn't produce. And that's what happens. Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, my doc shtick as well, but I do want to talk about that. <clears throat> but yeah, doc didn't do much to change the flow or change within the flow of the game. He, I forget whether it was the end of, I think it was in the middle of the third where he just kind of, you were talking about that Toby and everybody from the bench lineup with Dwight Howard specifically. And then it transitioned into Dwight and Ben Simmons at the same time. You're like, what's going on? What's the point mm -hmm. of this? We have two dunker spots. I think the first time we've ever had two dunker spots in the 21st yeah. century. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, most of it is just, it seems like they'd run a two part offense where Simmons or Curry would try to facilitate something in the beginning of the <clears throat> shot clock, maybe the first half, and then would go. they'd be stuck on the perimeter. They'd just dump it down to Embiid, probably at the free throw line. They're like, just figure it out. Go do it yourself. Yeah, it's and, a lot, it's a lot yeah. of the ball to Embiid and bail them out, for sure. Yeah, so it, it doesn't work like that. It really didn't seem like there were any plays being drawn up. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff to be reorganized and refixed, but I think Doc Rivers is probably going to stay around whether whether I like it or not. Yeah, I think he is too. I think he is too. Uh, it's it's tough because listen, I wouldn't want to coach this roster. It's not it's it's not a very cohesive team. Either. But listen, you, you got to blame the franchise a little bit because I've been doing a little bit of reading on the Sixers and say what you want about Brett Brown. Say uh, 
things didn't end rosy. But Brett Brown was very, very vocal about what he wanted from Ben Simmons in his tenure. I mean, he I liked Brett Brown. He, he was wanted essentially rah rah as rah rah's doc, but but he but he saw the writing on the wall and he he called for Ben Simmons to expand his game. He said in the he said in the media, "I want Ben Simmons taking one of three game." He wanted Ben Simmons to be more of an offensive weapon. And Doc this year comes in, and it's just we like Ben the way he is. We think everybody focuses on what Ben can't do. We focus on what Ben can do. You guys just focus on the shooting. We look at the defense. You just focus on the the, the offensive playmaking, on the inability to create his own shot. We focus on the passing, all that stuff. We focus on the assists. So, listen, you you made your own bed, Doc Rivers, in the Sixers. If you are going to tell your player that he is good the way he is, don't be surprised when he doesn't change himself. Don't be surprised when he doesn't challenge himself and he doesn't try to expand his game. So, that's that. Yeah. Do we want to shift over to the Hawks, or do we want to go – is there a specific way you want to go? Uh, let's get into the conference finals. We'll talk about the Hawks, and I, I, I got kudos to give to the Hawks. But let's talk about the conference finals games. We could talk Hawks-Bucks first for sure. Yeah, that's what I mean, just like transition into Hawks and then like, you know, Hawks to Hawks-Bucks. Yeah, yeah. So, even the conference finals hasn't happened yet. Tips off tomorrow. Atlanta Hawks, Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, geez, if you told me the and before we get started, I just got to say I, I was going back to preseason predictions. I was wrong about this Hawks team. I was dead wrong, and I said that I thought this team, this organization, was moving too fast, too quick. I thought that they were trying to get out of the cellar a little too early. They weren't trying to build organically. They were making some short-term moves that wouldn't pan out. And say what you want about whatever. Maybe like the, them getting a little lucky, obviously, with the fact that the Nets aren't here this next round. The last two teams they beat were healthy, and they they straight up beat them. So they beat this. They, they beat had the injuries Sixers. of their own. They do have it, yeah. And some of their they do have injuries. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish both out. Who at the end of the season, you, I mean, DeAndre Hunter has been a, a crucial role player. Reddish forget is about Bojan. Yeah, and Boyan's a little hobbled as well. So, actually, it's Bogdan. Now you try to get God, me messed up. Jesus damn it. Christ. I really thought I knew it. You're, you're going to infiltrate my brain and Bogdan. <laughs> That's right. real estate, baby. Bog, yeah, Bogdan's a little hobbled. But, yeah, I was wrong about the Hawks. This team is legit. And at this at this point, Phil, the Atlanta Hawks, they have a chance to win the NBA title. There's, which is absolutely ludicrous to think you, you would be saying. But here we are. Atlanta Hawks have a chance to win the NBA title. Trey Young. He, what I like about Trey Young, and this goes a little bit back to last game, was he's shooting poorly, right? He's like one for 14 in a point. It's crazy. But the dude still affects the game. And those are my favorite kinds of players, honestly. The ones who are able to affect the game offensively when they're not making shots. I mean, he could be 0 for 15. He's still their most valuable ball handler. He wasn't the most valuable player in Game Seven. Kevin Herter, Kevin Herter played the best, and they don't win without that Kevin Herter performance. But the way Trey Young makes everything go in their offense, he is the definition of an offensive engine. And he's going to be tough to stop. He's going to be tough to stop in this Bucks series. He's going to have tougher matchups for sure. And the Bucks are more equipped to make him work on defense because Drew Holiday is a much, much, much better guard than either the Knicks or Sixers had. But you cannot count out what the Hawks are able to do 
with the Capella, Trey Young pick and roll. They have shooters on the perimeter. They're competing on defense. I think it's going to be a good series. Uh, yeah. First thing I thought was Knicks Hawks in the first. Hawks winning in six. Correct me if I'm wrong. My that's what you predicted. Was... Okay. My whole thing with the Hawks was to beat the Knicks if we could keep it close, and then the last five minutes Trey Young was on, and then I didn't really plan to extend into the next round, and him being as was in the in the last five minutes of each game, but you really just saw whether he was hot or not. Mostly he was out, but he just going in the last game. By the last five minutes, he was, you know, in rhythm, and he knew what he needed to do. He just get a bucket when he wanted to. He kind of laid back in the probably in quarter of the game, and fourth quarter, he just, you know, started hunting his shot, and it, it, it went down. Hoyter kept him in the game until then, and then he took over. As Hoyter said in his post game, he's like, we have a, a closer. I just don't think the Sixers ever had that kind of idea. And B can, but not when you you struggle and you give him 12 seconds on the shot clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trey Young, he got, he gets to his spots. He gets to his spots. And sometimes the threes don't go. Uh, sometimes the floaters don't go, but you know, he's able to get to his spots and that pick and roll is lethal. He never, he navigates ball screens about as well as anybody. The way the bucks are going to handle it is going to be very interesting because we know what they like to do. they, you know, Drew fights. He tries to get on your hip, but that second guy, Brook Lopez, he's he's gonna have step. He's gonna lean back, and Trey's gonna go in. And the, the Bucks don't want to give up that lob. They they don't. They they want to make you. They want to make you play make out of that in between spot. So, but and Trey, we've we've seen him kill teams with the floaters. We I mean, he decimated the Knicks with floaters. We've also seen him be off with the floaters, and that was kind of what hap- was happening for a lot of Game Seven. So it's going to be interesting to see if he does get, get hot with those floaters. If he, if he makes, you know, three floaters in the first quarter, which he's very capable of doing because he's, he's good at it. Do, does Milwaukee pivot at all? Do they try to switch up their defense? Do they switch up their coverages? Maybe put Giannis on Capella so that Giannis is patrolling that in-between area instead of Brooke. Little more, a little more length, a little more agility when he's coming up and contesting the floater. It's going to be very interesting to see because that's that's the Hawks are going to do a heavy dose of it. The Bucks they cover the pick and roll the same way every single series, regardless of the personnel. So I got my eye on that little yeah. exchange. Uh, Coach Bud is very, he's very stuck in his ways. And <laughs> there's the whole Bud. They kind of wanted him gone by the time it was Game Seven or Game Six last time. No, it was Game Seven, two days. I mean, kind of already like, all right, let's let's get ready to interview D'Antoni, see what happens. They win, and they're like, all right, uh, just keep running with it. Like, what what if they win a championship? Hey, you win a championship, and you're safe, man. (laughs) That's that's the way that's the way it works. You are every single player on that roster is off the hook. Every single coach is off the hook. Uh, You're good to go if you win a championship for the most part for a, a prolonged period of time. And championship, the championship, the Bucks win this championship. I'll tip my hat, and you got to compliment the guys who get it done. But they still have a long way, and the, yeah. the Hawks are legit. So I do want to come back to the Hawks for a second because one of the smaller things I think kind of make a big difference is the presence of Anyeka and Kongwu. Mm-hmm. He basically gives them that second big man, that that bouncy big man in the second unit. Because if it was just Capella and John Collins, when you go to that bench unit and you take him away 
who's really there to kind of offer the same type of presence where you just have someone that is able to be, you know, just big, mobile and bouncy. Because Capella is surprisingly an athlete. Okongwu, we kind of knew that going out of USC. So just that little little tip of the man, because he's he came off injury basically right into the playoffs. Yeah. And he's been just as present and he's been exactly what they needed. I think without him, they would have a lot of weird second unit points where Capella either has to play I don't know, 40 minutes or 45 minutes every game, or they just don't win. Yeah. Uh, O'Connor gave him really solid bench minutes against the Sixers, especially. So uh, another thing that, and I wonder what your take is on this. Hawks matchups are going to be very interesting. Uh, yeah. How they, how they approach Giannis. I, I think their best bet is, is getting Capella on him. You, you know, the, the Nets kind of set the blueprint for, playing a center on him in Blake and Blake tried his best. Capella is definitely a better defender than Blake overall. But once you do that, then that means that you have Collins on the perimeter. Now he's guarding Brooke. And then you're going to have to see what you want to do with Trey, what the Bucks starting lineup is going to be. How much is Peachy Tucker going to play? You can't imagine it's going to be as much because the defensive assignment against the Hawks is so much different than the defensive assignment against Brooklyn. So yeah. we'll see how much, how many, uh, how many minutes, Tucker plays and how that affects Trey Young's matchups. So th- there's gonna it's gonna be a lot. You definitely want to pay attention to who guards who. I'm not usually too big on that. Just you know, like the who guards who kind of thing because I think things switch a ton over the course of the game. But those primary matchups thing are gonna be very very crucial and can be big decisions to be made in this series especially. Yeah, I mean, just going with the first thing you're talking about with Giannis, how you def- you guard him. I think the Hawks have a decent, you know dearth of big men that can kind of fill the role where need someone and say John Collins guards him primarily never leave bows by you. That's when you have Clint Capella or Yeka and Kong who step in for that just kind of wall. Cause that's what we saw with the Nets when Brooke got earned up Brooke, uh, Blake Griffin got burned. There was always a wall right there to meet him. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect this like John Collins or Blake Griffin to just stay on him. You can stay on his, you can maybe catch him from the back and just like keep your hand in it. But Realistically, you're going to need a wall once he gets to the rim. I'd rather have Clint Capella there than John Collins. You know, flex it out, see which one works better. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'll do a little bit of trial and error for sure. Yeah, but it'll be interesting. I feel like they have a very good – the same thing with the Couldn't get any outside shooting going, and the Hawks just locked them down the paint because they had so many different iterations of big men matchups. Yeah, yeah. What's your pick, Phil? Oh, my pick it has to be – the Bucks, but I do like the way the Hawks are moving. Yeah. I still think, I mean, until it's proven wrong, I'm going to jump on this wagon. If, if the Hawks can keep it within five, you know, probably if they can keep it even ish with five minutes left, it's up to Trey Young. Mm-hmm. I'll stay with that theory. It seems to be carrying way more. than all, So I'll ride with it. Uh, I'll go, I'll go Bucks in seven. Why not? Let's have some fun with it. Yeah. I'll take 7-2. Didn't know we were doing numbers still. <laughs> At this point, it's just survive. Let's talk Clip Suns for a minute. Let's go so, West. Yeah, let's go West. So, Clip Suns were one game down. Suns take game 120-114. Devin Booker goes bananas. And Clippers struggled mightily to guard them. They, they didn't really know what to do with that high pick and roll. So, right now, the, the status of Kawhi and Chris Paul are looming. They're looming. They're they're weird. They're uncertain. I think, Nobody I thought knows. Chris Paul's was kind of cons- confirmed. 
we don't we don't have a game that we know he's going to be back. He's out. He's out for game two. Right. No, I'm just saying we know the timeline for him at least. It's not like it's hazy phasey with Kawhi. I think he's definitely. There's no way they can change the COVID protocol, can they? I don't know what. I don't even know what the. I'm. I don't know. I don't know what honestly. it is at this point. Either. <laughs> yeah. But all yeah, I know is like I... there was like the thing where it's like two weeks out because he tested positive. No questions asked. Out... I have no idea. I have. I don't, I don't there's, know. There, there's never been a, a confirmed report that he tested positive. By the way, by there, by, oh, there by... wasn't confirmed. I thought there was. That was just he say. There was never like like shams or well, you never tweeted that, and they usually Fair do enough. tweet those if they get if All they right. get a uh, that so could be wrong. So... Yeah, no. Maybe my information is skewed. He could be back, but I don't know. The COVID stuff is weird. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where by, I don't know, game four, it's like Chris Paul needs to test positive four times in 24 hours, and then he'll be able to play or something like that. You know, they do those weird, massive amounts of testing on guys. Yeah, I have no idea the situation is with either player. And so right now I'm just kind of operating on the pretense that both of them aren't playing. And in game one with the Booker with the sorry, the Chris Paulus Suns and the Kawhi Clippers, Clippers took another hit because Marcus Morris got a little hobbled, only played twenty one minutes. That was a huge blow to them because it just completely limits their small ball options. They end up going with with a lot of traditional center lineups, and that's something that Ty Lue, you know, doesn't really want to do too much. And Booker was yeah. just pick picking them apart in the high pick and roll. They he was he was getting them to drop. He was pulling up from mid range and he was killing them. It was it was the difference in the game at the end of the day because it was it was back and forth for a while. Both teams were making some pretty impressive shots, but once the Suns kind of figured that puzzle out, it was tough for the Clippers to come back. Yeah, I, I just have two things. Where basically, the Demarcus Cousins experiment was kind of fools like a fool's gold thing, where Ty Lue was like, oh, he he fell for the trap where. If you put him in when Darius Arch and you're going to get those buckets and you're going to offensively be solid, but yeah. then you look at it holistically and it's a really bad matchup overall because they're just going to hunt him. And yeah. so I don't think that's his fault. And it's like, that's a bad idea. I think he was leaning more in terms of we need to get some other guys in because we just came off of two days, days rest. So I yeah. think as the series goes on, he's not going to play, not because he figured out DeMarcus Cousins doesn't work, but because he didn't want to play him in the first game, but he kind of had to to give guys some kind of rest. So I don't expect to see Marcus Cousins as much, unless Ty Lue is falling for the trap, and he wants more. <laughs> Could get enough. Yeah, DeMarcus gave you good minutes the first half, but the well ran dry, and it's just kind of the thing with DeMarcus where it's like he gives you a few fun plays on offense, but he's going to end up giving it back on defense. At this point, he's pretty much Enos Cantor with a little bit more shooting. So yeah, very very good comp. Good draft that's kind of comp. What, <laughs> that's kind of what you're getting right now. Uh, I mean, I want I yeah. want to hear what your strategy is game two guarding Booker. It's tough. It's tough. Booker's a really good player. There's not really a great answer. Uh, I think I think that the Clippers aren't equipped to be a good defensive team playing with additional five they don't and that's they're their best they're best when they're switching so i think that if you're gonna go traditional five you gotta you gotta try your best to match those minutes up when booker's not on the floor because at least if they want to pick on you then you're forcing them to go you know heavy pick and roll offense with campaign heavy pick and roll offense with i mean i don't even know if they do do they even have other ball handlers 
that could do the pick and uh, roll? They and... run Etoile more recently. Yeah, sure. Okay, even better. Yeah, do some of that. <laughs> like, so that oh, you know, perfect. That's like in a perfect world, I would want to just switch these matchups and try my hand at you know guarding him one on one. I mean, Kennard was getting killed. Rondo was getting killed. So just try to put my best defensive lineups out when Booker's out there and switch as much as you can. Try and turn into an ISO game. Because when he's finding his spots and just stepping into, you know, semi-contested looks off the pick and roll in the mid-range, like, yeah, it's only two points mid-range isn't as analytically valuable, whatever. But when he's killing you like that and he's got a rhythm, it's it's tough to stop. So that would be that, that would be my best guess. I mean, I don't think it was like he was getting naked looks in game one and people were just losing him. But he kind of figured out what the Clippers were doing on, on defense and just taking advantage of it, getting to his spots, rising up, knocking it down. Do you think throwing – this was kind of my running idea last series. Do you think throwing Pat Bev on Devin Booker for, I don't know, early stretches of the game to just kind of, you know, get him work and get him sweating early, maybe it'll have him kind of benefit in the fourth? I mean, you can try. I'm, it's worth I, a shot. That's all I want as, I want as few Pat Bev minutes as possible, honestly. I don't like Pat so. Bev, but if you're going to use him, <laughs> use him where it makes sense. Just tire people out. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's an idea. It's an idea for sure. Yeah, say. I mean, yeah, like you gotta try to do something different. That that's really the best thing you gotta do is you you can't like do the same thing over and over again because these guys are gonna figure it out. So you gotta switch up your looks. You gotta, you know, make them work. Yeah, and it just got a little too easy for Devin Booker. It was it was just like it was like a drill, you know. Yeah, we want to do with Frank. Just get in there, twelve minutes, use fouls. Mm. What you gotta do? Yes. But, yeah, so with that, I don't really know how to predict that series because of the injury stuff. Uh, I think Chris Ball will be back, so I'm going to take the Suns. But if he's not, I think the Clippers – if these rosters stay the same like they are right now, I think the Clippers are going to pull it out. But we'll see. We'll see. It's a it's an interesting series. Different series, not what we expected, but uh, – I'm, I think I'm leaving the Suns regardless, but could I – mean, Clippers kind of rally stuff. Actually, no, nah, I'm definitely going. No, nah, you know what? I don't know. I'll figure it out. I need to think a little bit. A little self-inflection, reflection. All right, all right. Take your time. Take your time. But yeah, uh, we got lottery tonight and lottery game tonight, two. Yeah. Lottery's very nice to not be there. <laughs> yeah, we got lottery and we got game two tonight, so definitely some stuff going on. Should be good. All right. Well, I'll do that for this edition of the Hoops Good Podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal Phil. As always, if you enjoy the content, follow us on Twitter at HoopScoopPod. Check out our podcast, check us out on YouTube, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.